Welcome to Sunday night. Um, we are, uh, so just so you caught that, we are not meeting next week because of the harvest party. I mean, if you come expecting this next week, you're going to get a lot more than you bargained for um, because there's going to be no chairs in here and like 30 carnival games and hundreds, literally hundreds of prizes that we've purchased, maybe even thousands of prizes, I think. No, I'm just kidding. And a, a, a maze. We're going to build a maze in that room over there. It's going to be amazing. I didn't even do that on purpose. Oh, it's going to be a good night. Amazing. Whew. So last week, we're, we're teaching through a series. Ooh, wait. Sorry, Samuel. Cozy. We help hand these out. Right, there's probably a little too many. But So I'm trying a new thing where I'm giving you some of my notes because I know that some people have a hard time paying attention. I don't know how you could possibly have a hard time paying attention to me. But and just in case you have a hard time, this will like help you clue back in. I did something that I've always been a little annoyed with if I was in the congregation, but I'm trying it. And you can feed back to me whether you like it. Last week, I gave you my points. This week, I left spaces like you're in second grade. So uh, you have to listen for the words and fill them in. Or else when you go home, you're going to be like, I have no idea what he was talking about. So uh, let me know if you like it. Some teachers do it this way. Uh, and on the back will be what we'll do for our response um, when we have worship at the end, okay? So uh, last week we taught on remembering God's word. We're in a series about remembering some of the important stuff that we tend to take for granted. And uh, if you can put the first slide up, this is what we talked about last week, just to refresh your memory, although I know you all memorized all three points last week. Um, we, we studied Hebrews, keeping the word alive and active in our lives, and we talked about paying careful attention to it. And this was all from, from the book of Hebrews, the first four chapters, if you could go read them. He exhorts them to pay attention to the word, to mix the word with faith, not just hear it, but trust it, and then to do the word. And that's going to make the word alive in our lives. So I, wanna, I wasn't meaning to do two weeks of, about the word, but as I was praying and seeking the Lord for this one, I got stuck in this chapter in this book I've been reading called, um, I don't know what it's called, circle maker or something about that, circle prayers. Um, and it's, uh, it's this author that I've been reading lately, Mark Batterson. And it's, uh, it's a really good daily devotional. If you're looking for a daily devotional, um, I'm, I'm really, it's challenging me. And anyway, I'm going to be teaching. I'm just letting you know up front, I'm not going to say every time I use one of his points. But just throughout this teaching, a lot of it is from him, just so you know. But I'm going to be communicating it with my own spin on it. But I just really felt the Lord say, teach this chapter. And I don't do that very often, but um, so yeah, just so you know, that's where it's coming from. Uh, draw the circle. I did put it in my notes. So let me ask you a question. We're kind of a smaller group tonight, so um, I'm going to ask you to participate a little bit. When you think of, uh, of your home or your house, okay, um, what does it mean to you or mean for you? Or what does it provide for you, your house? Yes, Rachel, did you raise your hand? <laughs> you did something... Okay, great. Family. It's a good one. That's on my list. You get a, uh, you get a gold star. Uh, you're supposed to raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> she raised her hand and you said, I always hated that kid in class. I would obey the rule by raising my hand. They would blurt it out and they'd get all the credit. That's you, huh? That's how you got ahead in life. Okay. Um, so he said safety. Yep. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, that's not on my list. I knew there was more. Good. Rest. Yeah. Uh-huh. Comfort. Also not on my list. I have a short list. All right. Anybody else? 
Wait, someone said it. Food. That's it. Nourishment. That was number one on my list. I mean, when you get home, what's one of the first things you do? Either go to the bathroom or get food. I mean, that's what, well, actually what I do is I have to greet my hundreds of animals that I own. But once I fight through the hordes of animals, then I get to the food. Um, Okay, anything else? So we've got safety, uh, we've got food, we've got uh, comfort, family, something that you said that was really good. Rest, yes. How about uh, learning? Do you think that's a, a home is a place of learning and growth? Does anybody think of that? Just the homeschoolers? <laughs> um, okay, shelter. Shelter. Warmth. I think of warmth, especially as we're heading into this cold season, except for my bedroom that's never warm in there. But other parts of the house, I think of warmth. You ever think, like, have you ever been in a, wither, a, a winter weather situation where you come home or like a super, super, super hot, hot summer day, and you come home and you come inside and you're like, oh, praise God for this house. Like, there are many people in the world who don't have that. And it's just a shelter. It's a place of safety. So here's this word I want to study tonight, this this word abide. It happens seven times or more in this passage where Jesus is teaching in John 15. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's really the verse for the night. Let's read it again. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus, as the Father has loved, sorry, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you, so abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you so that your life can be difficult and you can have a lot of obligations to fulfill and you can be performance-oriented and you can check things off the list and feel better about yourself, right? No, these things I've spoken so that you, uh, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. My joy may be in you and your joy may be full. That's an awesome verse. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you would speak to us tonight, um, that you would speak through me, God, and that you would challenge us and stretch us and uh, energize us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so abide. Um, it's praying about this concept of abiding, and um, you think about abiding, to, to abide somewhere is really to dwell, to live there, to build a house there. And so what he's saying is, let's, let's live with God. Let's live with the word. And I'm gonna like, twist the words of the Bible a little bit, because that's always good for teachers to do, right? So he says, let my words abide in you. But I think not only do his words need to abide in us, but we need to abide in his word. And I think I could make a circuitous argument to prove that, because he says to abide in him, and he is the word. And so, right, if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Everybody with me still? All right, so we need to abide in his word. We need to build a house out of his word and live our lives in and then from there. If you think about your house, it's not only a place where you live your life in, but you live from it, don't you? Like you don't just stay in your house all day and all night all the time, unless you have certain anxiety issues. But you know, most people don't. They live from it. They go out into the world. They do what they need to do in the world, and they come back for rest and support and nourishment. And the Word of God, I think, is meant to be a house that we build our lives in and then live our lives from. 
And I think when we, when we neglect the word of God, we become spiritually homeless. That we don't have a place where we're coming back to for shelter, safety, nourishment, support, strength, learning. If we're just kind of living out of our own opinions. You know, that's been always something that's really bothered me about uh, teachers. I can be pretty critical of Bible teachers because um, I listen to a lot of them. And when it bothers me when people are preaching and they say things that are true because they're in the Bible, but they don't support them with the biblical evidence that would support the very thing they're saying. I'm like, you're building your house out of straw, out of man's opinions, when you could have backed it up with the word of God. And so, you know, you might be even thinking the right thoughts and having the right direction in your life, but you're missing the power of adding the word of God. Does that make sense? So uh, we, studied, we studied this in uh, college. I took a course called Home and Homelessness. It was really an uplifting course. I also took a course called Death and Dying, named similarly and both very depressing, um, especially when you take them during winter session when it's dark like 20 hours out of the day. Um, it was very difficult. But, so we read about how there's these people called mole people. Have you ever heard of the mole people? Yeah, yeah, I know you have. Uh, so, because Chris used to be one. Uh, <laughs> no, we lived together when I was reading this book and stuff, so I remember talking about it. But um, so, these, these, these people who are homeless, but have created a new home by living underground in abandoned, like, subway tunnels and stuff in cities. And so, that's, like, literally a thing that is happening. And, um, or at least it was happening many, many years ago when I was in college, I would assume still. And, and I was thinking about, like, this is what we do. We have this house of God's word that we can live our lives in and from. But oftentimes what we do is we create these false houses, right, that aren't real houses. But we're like, let's do this on our own. And so here's one of my false houses. One of my false houses is uh, I will feel good about myself and my life when other people are happy with me. When people say nice things about me or feel good about me, or I, if, I, if I examine my relationships and I feel like, yeah, everyone is pretty okay with me, I feel secure. And that's not, and so the converse of that is if you, if I find out that someone has a problem with me or an issue with me, I suddenly feel insecure. I feel a lack of foundation. I feel a lack of security in who I am. And that just like sucks the peace right out of me. And then you got to ask yourself, if losing that makes me so upset and lose my peace so much, then I'm obviously built on that a little bit, aren't I? And so I need to replace that with the word of God. What does the word of God say? The word of God tells me that it's not, that what man thinks about me doesn't matter as much as what God thinks about me and what God says about me. And he tells me not to have the fear of man, but to have the fear of God. I mean, those are verses I read a lot because it's something I struggle with. And I try to remind myself, am I doing the right things? Am I following God? Then yes, then I should, I'm built and I, my house is in the word of God. I can find my safety in the word of God. Even if lots of other people are disagreeing with me or challenging me or maybe even upset with me or maybe even having false assumptions. I hate when people have false assumptions about me. You know, like have a, a thought about me that kind of judges my character or like they just think I, I'm a certain way and I'm like, you should know I'm not that way. I don't know if that ever happens to you, but it frustrates me. But it doesn't matter if, if I am living in honor and truth before the Lord, then what he says about me matters. So that's one of my false houses. What do you do to create a sense of safety in your life? Does the word of God abide in you? Or do we just take a passing glance at it? Seriously, 
Like a lot of people in this room I know, and a lot of us have been Christians for a long time. And so the word of God has just been a a thing, like a staple. When you first come to know Jesus, you devour the word of God. It's amazing. It's the first time you've ever read it. But if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've read some of these things hundreds and hundreds. You've heard countless teachings about them. It can be challenging, right? So do you abide in the word of God? You know, Um, The culture that Jesus was raised in, if you were a Jewish young boy from the ages of six to 10 years old, you would go to this school called um, Bet Sefer, which means the house of the book. In your first day of class, you would get this tablet, like this stone tablet upon which you would like learn and stuff. And your rabbi would cover it in honey. And then you would lick the honey off of the tablet. And that is the first lesson that you learn. And he would, while you were licking the honey off the tablet, he would read this verse from Psalms. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And the message from day one was the word of God is so sweet and so necessary. And they would spend, imagine this, six to 10 years old, by the time they were done, they had memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Whoa. Whoa. That's intense. That's a lot of memorization for a six, seven, eight, nine, ten year old. Then they would graduate from that and they would go to the next one, which is called um, the house of learning. <laughs> from 10 to 14 years old, they would memorize the rest. Wow, what an emphasis on the scripture they had. Isn't that amazing? It was valued so highly. And, and honestly, We struggle. We struggle to read. I mean, this is not condemnation at all, but I'm just, I want to set out there the importance of the word of God. So what does it mean to abide? It's in this verse where Jesus is talking, it's a present imperative verb, which means a continual action. So it's not like, hey, I'm going to live here for a while. I'm going to visit. I'm going to stop by. It's like a continual for the rest of your life. On, it's always on. I'm going to continue. So we're going to look at five meanings of abide. All right, and we're just going to briefly, and it'll probably only take a couple, 10 more minutes, and then we're going to go into worship and prayer and respond to this. So the question is, are you abiding in the Word of God? Is the Word of God abiding in you? So here's some things that it could mean to abide, because there's like a whole bunch of different meanings. One is this, to endure overnight, to abide, to not give up, to fight through. Have you ever pulled an all-nighter? Some of us, it's been a while. Anybody pulled one recently? There you go, students. Yep. So I can remember, um, I can remember being a student in high school, and one of my best friends and I, we were doing like the science Olympiad. Do you guys remember that? Oh, it's okay. Let, let people think. It was it was school, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. So we put off our project until the night before, and now this is like a big deal because this is like a many weeks project. And so we're like, we could get it done in a night. I figured it would take us a couple hours. We probably procrastinated until like 8 or 9 p.m. I think we finished around like 4 or 5 in the morning. But we won. So there's that. And it just reinforced my bad behavior. You know, <laughs> terrible. <laughs> so um, I can remember when I worked for Eleni, which is uh, this graphic design company I used to work for, the way that things would work is you would, it wasn't like, oh, every day you do a little bit of work. It was like, out of nowhere, you would get gigantic jobs that you had to have done in 48 hours. And so I would work from like nine at night to three in the morning. But it was 
during that, and I can remember trying to stay awake. Like I had all these different playlists to keep me awake and I had like snacks and I would just be sitting there like, you know, like eating, I don't know, you know, you get up, go do a couple push-ups, get back to the computer, do some more designing. And the reason I would endure through the night is because the payoff was greater than the sacrifice in the moment. That's why we do those things because the payoff is greater than the sacrifice. Don't get me started talking about giving birth to our children. I mean, I didn't give birth to them, but I was just there trying to stay awake and it was bad enough. So um, there's things that we will endure because we know it's worth it in the end. And so if we're not enduring in the word, we, we're saying, I don't think it's worth it. I don't think that the scripture is worth it. It's really interesting. I'm, I'm taking a course on evangelism right now and the teacher is saying, we don't tell people about Jesus and about the word of God because we don't believe it, ma- it works anymore. Like we look at people's lives and they look like they've got their lives all together. And, and we're, what do I have to offer them? If I tell them about Jesus and the word of God, it's not going to do anything. And he said, we've lost faith in the power of the gospel, the power of the good news. I was like, that's me. Yeah. I'm always thinking, oh, well, this person, why, why would they want to hear about Jesus? But the word of God, it, it either is or it isn't. So something has to change in my heart. I, I think it's challenging. So are we pressing in? Are we enduring? Like sometimes we need to read past our limit or study past our limit or pray past our limit. We need to say, I'm going to get into the word of God. If you're getting bored with the word of God, then we need to step past that and into something new. We need to discover a new way to ingest the word of God. Do you hear me? Secondly, hold fast. Okay, here's another thing to abide is to hold fast. Ephesians says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the enemy. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is our, our weapon of offense and defense to hold fast against the enemy in our lives. Isn't this what Jesus did when he was tempted and the enemy came against him and came against him and came against him? What did he do every time? He just quoted scripture to him. How could he quote scripture at him? How, did, how could he quote it? Did he have a Bible with him in the desert? Probably not. He probably went through those Jewish schools, at least the first two. Because the third one was kind of like if you're going to become a rabbi, and he ended up becoming a carpenter. So that's normally when you would transition. But he probably had memorized the whole Bible by the time he was 14, like most of his contemporaries. And so when the enemy attacked him, he had the word of God at his his disposal. We talked about this some last week. Like if we're under attack from the enemy, if you're getting attacked with anxiety, if you're getting attacked with fear, if you're getting attacked with, you know, uh, self-hatred and you have no weaponry to fight against it, you're just like, oh, if the Bible, I think the Bible says something. I mean, we need to know the word. We need to know it so that we can use it. Take your stand against the enemy. So this, um, okay, right here in Ephesians where it says, it's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So word has two different Greek words in the Bible. You've heard this before, probably logos and rhema. This one, logos means written word, rhema means spoken word. And this one is rhema, okay, which is interesting. So the uh, sword of the spirit is the spoken word of God. So what does that mean? I think it could mean 
sometimes prophetic words, but most of what I think this means, and what the commentaries I read say that it means, is that it's speaking the written word of God. Does that make sense? So when's the last time you were having an issue in your life or in your family or in your job, and you got the Bible out and you started proclaiming scripture over that situation? There's power when we speak the word of God. In fact, what if this is what it's saying? What if it's saying your sword of the spirit is speaking the word of God out loud? And I'm not saying you have to like walk up to people who work with you and be like, thou, you know, thou shalt not steal from me, you know? Like, you don't have to do that. But you can, in your prayer time, begin to speak the word of God over your life. There was um, a season, just in the last year, I've really wrestled with this whole fear of man thing. And I listened to a really good teaching. And there were some verses in that teaching that really spoke to me. And I started to just pray those verses. Now, you know, this whole out loud thing is kind of a new thing for me. I've just been recently doing that. But I started to pray those verses. Now, recently, I shared this last week, how I've been struggling with sleep lately. And so I have a little routine before I go to bed every night. It's kind of silly. I said this last week, but there's enough people here who weren't here, and it's germane to what I'm talking about. I stand at the edge of my bed, and I pray. And I pray peace over my bed and over myself, and I say, God, I give you the things I'm anxious about, the things that might keep me up. And then I speak out loud these verses, right, um, that I probably am not going to be able to do in front of you because even now it's starting to run away from me. But, um, uh, okay, when I lie down, I will not be afraid. That's a fear and anxiety Same thing, right? So just, when I lie down, I will not be afraid. When I lie down, my sleep will be sweet. And I proclaim it over my bedroom. (laughs) And it's a real thing. And it's gotten better and better and better. In peace, I will lie down and sleep because you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. And I've got them in my heart. See, yes, they're there. When no one's watching, I can do it fine. But uh, so you just speak the word of God over a situation and it's powerful. It's a sword over your kids, over your finances, over your health, right? I mean, one of the things I do when I pray for healing is I quote scripture over people. I pray and, and I say, you know, scripture says when we lay hands on the sick, they will recover. There's power in the word of God, the rhema, the spoken word of God into a situation. You know, if you're struggling with direction, you can say, you know, um, you can start to say that your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. You can start to say it. You can start to say it every day. Okay, your grace is sufficient for me. I prayed this prayer many, many, many times every morning as I was struggling with sin. And there are certain sin areas that I would pray for grace because, you know, grace combats sin way more powerfully than condemnation does. So I pray, your grace is sufficient for me. Give me enough grace for today, one day at a time. Your grace is sufficient for me. Give me enough grace for today. You begin to proclaim it. You begin to speak the word of God. It comes alive for you. Okay. Stand still. Different than holding fast. When I read these, I was like, those are the same thing. But to stand still, Matthew 7. Everyone who hears these words of mine, this is the great parable that Jesus told. A parable is a story about a real life situation that has a spiritual lesson, right? So he tells a story of a guy who builds a house on a rock and a guy who builds a house in the sand. Storms come, the guy on the rock, his house is fine. The guy in the sand, his house is destroyed. Everyone who hears these words of mine, That's what it was about. It's about the word and does them. So hear the word and do it. Like we talked about last week. 
They will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So here's the deal. How many people have had a storm in their life? Just at least one, right? So that's everybody, okay? A storm of any kind. Now, some of us have had, you know, rain. Some of us have had hurricanes. Some of us have had like the multiple hurricane, typhoon, you know, uh, tornado, earthquake. I know those don't happen very often, but we've had those, right? And fire. Throw in some fire just for good measure, right? So, yeah, why not? So we've had, our, we've had those two. You know how to weather those storms? So a, a really wise person told me one time, it's, it's not what you do in the crisis that's going to help you through the crisis. It's what you do in the times of peace. So here's a story from my life. Um, right... The, the year that Mal, so we, for those who don't know, we've had, we've lost two children to stillbirth. This is 10 years ago. Um, and our first one, his name is Malachi. And so the year that we were going to lose him, God challenged Mandy and I, we didn't know obviously what was going to happen in January to read the Bible together at night, every night for a year. And so we were reading the Bible every night. We were doing it every night, reading the Bible throughout the whole year. And in the summer is when we lost Malachi. And I can remember the night that we came home from the hospital and we laid down in bed to fall asleep. We were like, we have this decision to make. We're in this routine. So it was right there in front of us. Like we always read the Bible, right? Before we fall asleep. And neither of us were in like a super, um, I want to read the Bible type mood. You know, we were pretty broken. And so we decided to open the Bible to where we had been reading. But the next chapter was Isaiah 43. And he says, do not fear. For I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I don't think there could have been a better passage. It's basically saying, yes, there's a flood. And there's fire at the same time. But you're going to make it, right? Because you've built your house on the rock. And then he, it got really personal. It says, do not be afraid for I am with you. And listen to this. Like there's a lot of chapters in the Bible, right? There's 66 books. I don't know how many chapters there are. There's a lot. You could have re been reading anything at this time. Do not be afraid for I am with you. It says it again. I will bring your children from the east and I will gather you from the west. And so what that meant to me was you're separated now, but I will bring you together. And I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Now, I didn't know this at the time, but we were going to lose a daughter the next year. But God knew. Bring my sons from afar, bring my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who was called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Now, if you know the Bible for me, what that reminds me of is Psalm 139. When I formed you and made you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Even before the day you were born, I had uh, you know, all these plans, the days written for you. And so that's what that meant to me is like, these children are in heaven and we will be united. And I made a decision in that moment, that night, that the, the rest of my life, these two would be a part of my story 
And their names, if you go on, it actually talks about how these people will bring him glory, right? Who I created for my glory. It goes on and talks more about that. That their stories would bring glory to God. And so I don't hesitate to talk about it. You've heard me. I talk about them a lot, right? That we've made them part of our story. Because of the Bible, because we were just reading in the Bible, founded on the Word of God. So he says, when the, when the waves come and the rains beat against the house, it will not fall because it's been founded on the rock. What did he define the rock is? In this story, the rock was, you are hearing my words and doing my words. The rock isn't Jesus in this story. It's his word. Have you built your house out of the word of God? Or are you living in a false house? A man-made house underground. So last one is, uh, oh, I'm sorry, there's two more. (laughs) We'll move through these quickly. So to abide can mean to wait. To just wait. We abide in God's word. There are times, many times, when we are just waiting on God to move. And we're in a situation you know, and uh, man, this book I'm reading has challenged me to stop praying for things once or twice. So there's like specific things. So he tells a story in the Old Testament of this guy who drew a circle in the sand and stood in the circle or kneeled and prayed and said, I won't leave this circle until God answers my prayer. And so that's why he draws prayer circles. So I, I won't tell you what they are, but I've got some prayer circles I've been drawing and I'm going to pray them every day until something breaks. And if it doesn't break, I'm probably going to have to fast. And if that doesn't break, I don't know what's going to happen. But he's really talking about praying through until you see something. This is waiting on the word of God, okay? So I just want to go back to Ephesians 6 for a second. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, dot, 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 and pray. They're connected. Take the word of God and pray. How? In the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit when we pray. When? On all occasions. How? With all kinds of prayers and requests. Praying the Word of God. Praying with authority. Praying repetitiously. Praying often. This great, this great saying that's not my saying. It's, you know, I don't know who, who started it. But, you know, pray as if it all depended on God and work as if it all depended on you. So this, it's this marriage between us and God. I don't pray enough. My prayer life is anemic compared to where it needs to be for the things that are in my heart that I want to see come true. I need to, I need to like seriously, this is what's happening in my life. I need to up my prayer game. I, I need to know how to pray like I'm hearing other people pray. Okay, so last one. This one's kind of tricky. Um, I think, so when he wrote this chapter, I think he used the word abide and used different meanings of the word. And then I think he just wanted to say this because I doubt that abide means to be moved. I, I really don't think there's any way that that means that. So, but the word of God, if you're abiding in the word of God, it's, it's, we're talking about live in the house and live from the house. You're gonna be moved. You can't read the word of God and ingest it and know it and not be moved. Not be moved to action. Jeremiah said this way, if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, then his word would be like a, uh, in my heart, like a fire. A fire shut up in my very bones. And I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. See, the word of God, once you get it in you, you, you can't keep it in you. 
It was never meant to stay in you. You can't read the word of God. So you can't, you can't read the story of the poor widow who only has a, like a couple coins and she drops them in. You can't read that and not be affected and not be moved to compassion, not be moved to generosity. You can't read Jesus' words honestly. You can't read them honestly and not have them change your life. You can't read this verse we read at youth group this week. It said, let everything that comes out of your mouth be for the uplifting of other people. What if everything that came out of my life, my mouth was uplifting? That would be so hard just to take that one verse. I sometimes think about this. What if I took one verse and just tried to live it for a year? What if literally I wouldn't talk unless it was uplifting? That would be so hard. But that's literally a Bible verse. Let everything that comes out of your mouth be uplifting. You can't read about how God says that he so loved the world that he gave his only son, that he died before we committed our lives to him, that while we were still sinners, he gave his life. You can't read those verses and then be someone who looks at people who don't know Jesus and be judgmental. You can't, you can't, the word of God needs, should get in and produce. Like the verse I read at the end of the teaching last week that said that when we hear the word of God as it's supposed to be heard, as the words from God, that it begins to work in us. It does work inside of us. You get the word in you and it works. It begins to change my judgmentalism. All right, I'll tell you one more story. Uh, Is any of the worship team left in here? Uh, Yeah, Bill? All right, come on up. So, I'll just be like vulnerable here with my sinfulness. I've been reading and, and preaching and talking to people at church a lot about how we need to get out of just our normal Christian relationships. And we need to, one, meet our neighbors and love our neighbors. And two, start laying our lives out for people who are less advantaged than us, okay? And, and this thing that I keep, I'm talking about a lot is one of the more uncomfortable things for me. So yesterday, my, my car broke down and I had to be towed. And the guy who picked me up was not the kind of guy I would normally just start a conversation with. And I was intimidated and I was judgmental. I sized him up. Don't you? I mean, I looked just without even a word coming out of his mouth. I looked at him. And then when I saw like the inside of his cab and what was in there, and like, I was like, here's who this is. And my instinct was to be like, well, you know, that guy, right? Instead of my instinct being like, Jesus would be like, found one. Like we got somebody who isn't just like sitting in a church pew. We found someone who needs Jesus. You have 20 minutes where you're forced to talk to someone who needs Jesus. Finally, Finally, you're out of your stupid office where all you do is talk to Christians all day and pray and read the Bible and you finally are talking to someone who needs Jesus and I'm sitting there judging him. You know? And the word of God, if it gets in you, it starts to change you. And so I was sitting there and all that I've been reading and and who Jesus is just starts to melt away me. And I had a great conversation with this guy. And I wish I could talk to him again. And you know what? He's just a person. Like we build up this junk, but the word of God is very clear that God loves everyone. In fact, maybe 
loves the people who are the least the most. If you, I mean, theologically, you can wrestle with that a little bit because I know he loves everyone. But who does he talk about all the time? He talks about the broken and the hurting and the distant and the far. He talks about going out into the highways and byways and making sure everyone is invited who wasn't initially invited. And I don't have that heart, but the word of God's getting into me and it's starting to change me so that I can start to see everybody on the same level, start to see people with God's eyes. Guys, I want to challenge you today. Are you abiding in the word of God? How seriously are you pursuing God's word. Now, I know there's a lot to pursue. You're supposed to pray. You're supposed to worship. You're supposed to fast. You're supposed to tithe. I know. Serve and use your gifts. And sometimes going to church is like so overwhelming. Now, I don't want to do that to you, but the word of God is so fundamental. And we, 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 I mean, you need it. Like we talked about last week, like you need to eat. I need it like I need nourishment. If I don't Eat it. It's the craziest diet anyone's ever invented is not reading the word of God and then trying to live your life. It's the stupidest diet. It's going to get you killed. It's going to get you killed spiritually. You need to be in the word of God and the word of God needs to be in you. So what we do now is we have a time of response. And um, oh, can you fix that for her? So um, if you want to stand up together, on the back of this, there's multiple ways that we can respond to the Word of God. Um, I just wrote out a little thought for you to pray through in the next 15 minutes while we, while we worship. You can just think about that. You don't have to do it if you don't want to. Um, you can take communion. So there's communion tables on the sides. Um, you can take communion and just spend some time asking the Lord to touch your heart through communion. You can worship. We're going to just worship and respond to the Lord. And if you need prayer for anything, there's going to be a couple people in the back if you are sick or in pain, we want to pray for healing. If you have never given your life to God, if you've never said, I want to follow you, Jesus, for the rest of my life, you know, I've always kind of heard about it. Maybe I've even been to church some and I never knew it was for me. If tonight is the night you'd like to say, Jesus, I want to make a commitment to you. I want to know you more. I believe that you love me and died for me. Then go to the back and someone will pray with you there. And if you want prayer, because you're like, man, the word of God is a, is a struggle for me. Just to be honest, it's just a hard for me to, to read it. It's hard for me to get into it. I think you get prayer for that too, okay? So uh, a couple people will go in the back and we'll be back there. James, can you hit the lights? So you can sit with this paper I gave you. You can take communion. You can worship. You can get prayer. You can do all those things in the next 15 minutes or so.